0: I'm really glad to be back. I mentioned that last week, but my wife and I got back a week ago Thursday evening from this 20 or 25,000 mile trip around the world almost to New Zealand, Australia, the Philippines, and then China. And uh, boy, I felt like kissing the ground of America when we got back, and I'm still glad to be back, just thinking about the people in those countries and certainly the wonderful attitudes of our brethren down in the South Pacific but also the suffering and the anguish and the the poverty and the trials and tests and danger that many of our people are in in the Philippines and certainly people in China that are not being called yet, but the tremendous suffering that is frankly going on there in spite of the outward industrial growth. There have been thousands of riots recently in the outback and people are still suffering and doing without in the areas they're not trying to make look good in that sense. All over this world, brethren, as you read the papers, and it really hits you when you hear the news. My wife and I watched again the BBC News last night, and all through various nations of Africa and Central and South America, as Mr. Hernandez reports, all over Asia, in India, in China, in Bangladesh, and many, many other nations, there is terrible grinding poverty, constant murders, often mass murders, in some of these countries which we continually read about and of course rape and humiliation of people degradation of human beings all over the world and it's getting worse and it's going to get much worse before it gets better so we do need to realize that and understand it that's the world we're living in it really is it's real and if you're in that it, it just affects you terribly none of us have had to live through that very few of us anyone that I know of at least but this world really needs what we have to offer And we in this work are trying to reach out way beyond our number to preach the gospel of the kingdom of God, the true name of Jesus Christ, the end time prophecies, and the Ezekiel warning that God tells his church to preach, to warn our peoples of what is coming. We're trying to do that more and more powerfully over television, radio, the printing press, the internet, and every way we can. And even through these personal campaigns that Mr. Hernandez has conducted, Mr. Dan Hall, has just conducted some as well. And Mr. King is going to be conducting some in Britain. We have them going on around the world. And every other way we can, we've got to reach this world because they need what we have to give. We've got to have God's kingdom or we're going to have a horrible, horrible lot of suffering coming on this world. And God does not want that. He's going to put that to an end. But the world needs our help if we learn to give that help the way God wants us to. So brethren, we need to think about and focus upon our calling. Mr. Hernandez mentioned, I mean Mr. Uh, Lee, excuse me, mentioned a number of things that tie right in with what I'm going to say today, and I'm glad that he did. Let's turn to Revelation chapter 1, if you would. Revelation 1 and beginning in verse 4. God says, John is writing to the seven churches in Asia, Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits before His throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead. We're not born now of God. We're only begotten. But Christ is the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth, to Him who loved us and washed us from our sins in His own blood. We never want to be ashamed of that. We never want to play that down. The blood of Jesus Christ. That's the only reason we're here. That's the only reason we can be forgiven our sins. That's the only way we can even get into this kingdom of God that we preached. Through the blood of Jesus Christ. And He has made us kings and priests. And brethren, as I've explained, it isn't that we are sort of maybe going to be that. But in God's plan, in advance... In God's mind, which nothing can stop except we ourselves if we turn aside, but He has made us. That's His purpose. That's what He intends to do. He has made us kings and priests to His God and Father. To Him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Behold, He is coming with clouds. Every eye will see Him. So we need to look forward to that time. And Christ has made us kings and priests He has God and Father. That is His plan. That is His purpose. And nothing can stop that. Over in chapter 2, a very familiar Scripture, I know, verse 26, Christ is speaking in the first person. He who overcomes and keeps my works, the way of God, to the end, to Him I will give power over the nations. Not nations up in heaven, but nations right here on this earth. He shall rule them, with a rod of iron, that is the overcomer. And he, as the potter's vessel, should be broken in pieces, as I also received from my Father. Christ is going to be king of kings. He's received that job. But each of us will be kings under Jesus Christ if we overcome. And that's the big if. Over in chapter 5, we read about the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song in verse 9. Revelation 5, verse 9. You are worthy to take the scroll that is Jesus Christ and to open its seals. For you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation and have made us. See, in His plan and purpose, God has made us already. It's already done. His purpose that is going to happen. The plan is all laid out. He has made us kings and priests to our God and we shall reign. Not up in heaven but on the earth. I remember growing up for 19 years in the First Methodist Church in Joplin, Missouri, and week after week we heard from Dr. Ben Morris Ridpath, our minister, very nice man. I knew his son, Clark Ridpath, was in my class, and he was kind of round-faced and gentle like his father was, like so many Protestant ministers tend to be, kind of nice and how are you and just sweet, and they're not evil people. They don't mean evil, but they just don't get it. And week after week, we heard various ideas about just general ideas of being good and nice attitudes and philosophy and, and uh, whatever, stuff like that. We never learned the truth. Never would have learned the truth staying there the rest of my natural life. Never heard these scriptures about overcoming. Never heard these scriptures about Christ's government to be set up on this earth. Not one single time. And all over this city and the very churches we have, often packed on Sunday morning. They could go day after day, week after week, year after year. And some of the brethren in those churches may never have heard or will never hear these scriptures read or certainly properly expounded because the ministers are blind. They're not evil. We don't want to think evil of them. But Jesus said, if the blind lead the blind, they will fall together into the ditch because they don't get it. They don't understand Our calling is not to be just nice people. Our calling is not just to float off to heaven with nothing to do. Our calling is to surrender to the great God of heaven who gave us life and breath through Jesus Christ and let Him fashion us and mold us and teach us and work with us and rule us so we're fit to be kings and priests in a coming world government Restore, restoration of all things that Mr. League was talking about. That is soon to be set up here on this earth. That's our calling. That's why we're called now. As Mr. Armstrong said so often, we're called now for two primary purposes. We could have been called later, you know, in the coming government of God, the millennium. But Christ has called us out of this world now, at this time for two main purposes. First, to do the work of God to get this message to the world with all of our heart. And secondly, to overcome, to grow, to prepare, to learn how to exercise and participate in God's government, God's true form of government, Christ's government, so we can be an active part in that government a few years from now in the kingdom of God that is going to be set up on this earth. So we shall be priests and kings to our God And we shall reign, not up in heaven, but right here on this earth. This is where the problems are. This is where the terrible suffering is, and this is where we're going to reign. But are you overcoming? Are you really preparing for that job? And do we recognize that's the main purpose for which we're called today? We need to focus on that. All of us do, continually. Not lose that focus. Turn to John, the sixth chapter, brethren. John, the Gospel of John, chapter 6. And here we find this focus in very clear terms. John chapter 6, beginning in verse 53. Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. This is not talking just about the Passover. The Passover is just a symbol of that that we do once a year. We take once a year. All through the year, every day and every hour, were to participate in Jesus Christ. were to have Jesus Christ living His life in us. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood. That's strong stuff. Sounds like cannibalism. A lot of the disciples didn't understand that. As we read in succeeding verses, some of them fell away a little bit later, right? As you read in this chapter. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. In that way he explains. You've got to have Christ really living in you and spiritually you are eating and drinking of Jesus Christ as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father. So he who feeds on me If you feed on Christ day and night, and that's a living thing in your life, I want to prepare for the reason God put me on this earth. i want to prepare to be a king and a priest. I want to get ready. I want to fulfill the purpose for which God gives me life and breath. He who feeds on me will live because of me. And then down here in verse 65, he said, I'm sorry, 63, it is the Spirit who gives life, the flesh profits nothing, The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. So you've got to feed on this book. You've got to not just read it carelessly, but feed on it and really begin to have the mind of God in order to be the kind of king and priest that God wants you to be and fulfill the purpose for which you're called today. That is so important. So we do not need to understand that. We've got to have the mind of Christ in order to be a king or a priest. Now, notice how God instructed His original citizens back in ancient Israel who were under His human government, of course, a human carnal government, and the kings at that time. Turn with me, if you would, back to Leviticus 18. Leviticus 18. And here we find a little bit about how God worked with our forefathers and certainly how God wants to work with us in a similar way. As these things are spiritually magnified. Back in Leviticus 18, and notice here, brethren, beginning in verse 1. Then the Eternal spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, say to them, I am the Eternal your God, according to the doings of the land of Egypt where you dwell, you shall not do. Now, Egypt was a type of this world society, and we're part of this world society. This world society is countenancing adultery, homosexuality, men marrying men and women wearing mem- women, all that kind of thing, more and more and more. You know that. That's their attitude. He says, don't do that. You observe my judgments and keep my ordinances and walk in them. I am the eternal, your God. You shall therefore keep my statutes, not just God's Ten Commandments, but the statutes spell out in the letter the mind of God to a carnal people. And if we can understand those statutes and then realize they will be carried out, perhaps spiritually magnified and modified to fit converted people in tomorrow's world, but nevertheless they reveal the mind of God. So if you keep my statutes and judgments and walk in them, I am the eternal, your God, you shall keep my statutes and judgments, which if a man does, he shall live in them. I am the ever-living one. None of you shall approach anyone who is near of kin to him to uncover their nakedness. And then he tells in plain language, Don't be embarrassed. God is not embarrassed. He says you're not to have sex with your you know, your stepmother or your your uh, niece or, or anyone else except your wife. He spells it right out, all verse by verse by verse and makes it very, very clear. Verse 18, Nor shall you take a woman as a rival to her sister. Now, we often have had that happen, not often, but several times in God's church over the years. I remember back in the 50s, it became quite a problem. And there is a problem more than people realize. A natural hostility develops in the family when that happens. Also, you shall not approach a woman to uncover her nakedness and her customary impurity. And God makes that very clear too. And you're not to have adultery with your neighbor's wife nor defile yourself. God says that's defiling. If you do that, adultery. And you shall not let any of your descendants pass through the fire to Molech. We say, well, we don't do that. But we do in another way. We kill, we murder about 45 million of our unborn babies and let them be murdered and sucked right out of their mother's body in that horrible way. When especially you understand the way they're doing this partial birth abortion. and That is an abomination in the sight of God. You shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. And here these preachers want to be ministers of Jesus Christ while they're homosexuals. And they want to practice homosexuality, men with men and women with women. And yet many of the big major denominations are allowing that to happen. They know more about Christianity in the mind of God than Mickey Mouse or Bugs Bunny, frankly. They just don't. They don't get it. They talk about God. They do not know God. Because they don't know the mind of God. And the mind of God is revealed in this book. So we do need to understand all of that. And if we're going to be kings and priests, we'd better start reading these statutes and these judgments and understand the mind of God. Nor shall you mate with any beast. Even Oprah has pointed that out. And other people that look into the modern times, they're saying, well, that's the next step. Bestiality. We've tried adultery, we've tried fornication, we've tried homosexuality. The next step is bestiality coming slowly into our society. The young people, and some of you young people here, you've been so conditioned by the media that you don't think it's any, any big deal if someone's a homosexual. You don't think it's any big deal if men are with women and women are with men. And You've been told that by the media. They have the jackass formula in Hollywood today that they practice in their movies and on television. Any old-fashioned minister like me or like Dr. Manale or Mr. Ames or anyone else that stands up to preach the truth, if Hollywood gets a load of that, gets ready, they can put you up there in a certain way and make you say something or you say one thing wrong and they can put a twist on it and they'll try to make a jackass out of you and make you look ridiculous. Here these two people love each other. Jesus said, "Let's, let's have love. Okay, what's wrong with love? Well, love is not homosexuality. That is perversion of the sexual urge. That's a a perversion. That's an abomination. Love is outflowing concern. Love is not taking that natural thing and perverting it and perverting the whole concept of a family and what a family is all about. They have a clever twist they put on things and you young people are very heavily influenced by that, more than most of you probably realize. Nor shall you mate with any beast to defile yourself with it. So he goes on and spells right out in detail the things you're to avoid. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments and not commit any of these abominations. And then he says in chapter 19, verse 2, speak to the children of Israel, you shall be holy, for I, the eternal your God, am holy. He tells them even that back there. They were holy in a less totally spiritual sense than we can be today with God's Spirit in us, but they were to be a separate people, a set-apart people, to be different. Every one of you shall revere his mother and his father. Do young people revere their parents today? Or do they make fun of them? Do they just, you know, think they're out of date and pay no attention to them and virtually spit upon their attitudes often? Frankly, you know that happens today. One of God's commands, you shall revere your mother and father and keep my Sabbaths, not just as weekly, but as annual Sabbaths. Do not turn to idols nor make for yourselves any molded gods. Well, we don't do that. Well, we do. You go to the largest single so-called Christian church on earth today and you'll find all kinds of statues to this and that. And I've told you how my wife and I've been to a number of times to St. Peter's. And you go over the little side knaves or what do they call them all around there? And sometimes the women have been on their knees praying to these flickering candles before the idol of St. Anne or St. Joseph or St. whatever it is. And they'll turn and tears are coming down their face as they've been praying to this idol which is an abomination in the sight of God. You can't take the great God of creation and put Him in a box. You can't take that great God and put Him inside of a picture frame as even we had in the first Methodist church, a so-called picture of Christ. Christ doesn't look anything like that picture, anything. And even if he did, he should not put inside of a picture frame the one whose eyes blaze like the fire, the one who has a voice like rolling thunder and shakes the earth. You're not to try to put him inside of a box or in an idol or in a picture frame. Don't make idols of anything, but certainly we make idols of our cars, our televisions, all the material stuff in our society, and we put that ahead of God. He says, when you reap the harvest, you're to keep the corners available and leave them for the poor, the elements that are there. So the principle is there to help the poor. And we're to have that, perhaps more than many of us do in our society. And the stranger. Now, brethren, we are not trying to promote, and you know that we do not promote the illegal aliens coming into this country. And there are about 12 million of them. That is not a good thing. That's a bad thing. But on the other hand, once they're here, we don't countenance that. We don't like it. But if they're here as mixed up, confused, often starving, hurting human beings, we should try to help them. I don't mean help them by hiding them from the authorities, but I'm saying we ought to have that outflowing glove. And over and over in these statutes, God tells you, help the stranger. Help the stranger. Remember, you were a stranger in Egypt. So He spells things out in detail even in the letter you don't find this in the new testament that's one reason i'm going back to the old testament i should say for our guests i didn't prepare this sermon for you i kind of forgot about the fact that so many of you are going to show up to see jennifer <laughs> i'm preaching a normal a normal sermon here for our people but nevertheless it's going to do you all good if you believe the bible the bible says these things and jesus christ of nazareth said in luke 4 verse 4 Man shall not live by bed alone, but by every word of God, and the only word of God they had was what we call today the Old Testament. And we're to live by that, the principles of that, as those principles certainly are magnified in the New Testament. But when the New Testament magnifies it, it sure doesn't tell you not to love the stranger. It tells you how to love the stranger in other ways. But you're to love the stranger, try to take care of those in need. I am the Eternal, your God. You're to do it because of what God says. You shall not steal, nor deal falsely, nor lie to one another. Often people in God's church will exaggerate and they will in fact lie. You shall not swear by my name falsely and profane any uh, in what, the name of the Eternal. I am the ever-living One. You shall not defraud your neighbor nor rob him. Don't take advantage of your brother or keep back his wages. You shall not curse the death. Don't make fun of or put down those who are hard of hearing or deaf or who are blind. Don't put a stumbling block before the the blind. Have deep concern for these people. But you shall fear God. Here is a human being made in the image of God. Respect and love every single human being made in the image of God. And God is telling us that. You shall not do injustice in judgment nor be partial to the poor. Today, often, the poor man gets his way and God says, don't do that. Don't be partial to the poor, but don't be partial to the rich either. Don't be partial to either one. Be fair both ways. But in righteousness, you shall judge your neighbor. Don't go about as a talebearer. How often do God's people, you know, go around as a talebearer? Just recently, we've had a bunch of people running around and putting things up on the Internet saying Dr. Meredith has changed in the whole gospel, or Dr. O'Neill has changed in the whole gospel, or Living has changed in the whole gospel, is passing that attitude around, which they have no proof of whatever, which we're not doing, only because we said we're going to emphasize Jesus Christ more. And I feel terribly sorry for anyone who would even remotely start to commence, to begin to leave Christ out of the gospel. That is an abomination To say that, that is an abomination to even imagine that you should diminish the deep awe and respect and authority of Jesus Christ and the absolutely central role that He plays in the gospel, the good news of the kingdom of God of which He, Christ, will be the coming King. And we are not going to diminish His role or the deep respect we have for Him or emphasizing what He does and what He is doing and what He will do. That's so important. So don't go about repeating these rumors. Check it out. Check it out. Nor take a stand against the life of your neighbor. You shall not hate your neighbor in your heart. You shall surely rebuke your neighbor. If your neighbor is doing something bad, don't just resent him and be bitter. Go to him. Say, John, you have offended me. You've been flirting with my wife. Or you've been letting your cow come over and graze in my pasture. You're letting your goat eat my vegetable patch or whatever it is. Go to him and talk to him straightforwardly. The New Testament tells us that. And in fact, back in Matthew, you know, chapter 18, verse 15, go to your mother. But you see, the Old Testament spells these things out. And that's one reason I'm giving it to you. If you're going to be a king or a priest in another 10 to 20 years, whenever Christ comes back, I think probably in that time frame. I'm not trying to set an exact date. It's not going to be that long. How are you going to rule? How will you have the mind of Christ? You will have it because you have been feeding on Christ. You will have it because you've been feeding on this book that He inspired. Christ is the human or the physical Word, the, the personality who is the Word. This is the Word of God in print that God inspired through Jesus Christ. You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the children of your people. You know how the New Testament tells us that. Don't take vengeance, wait on God. But you shall love the Lord your your neighbor as yourself. Way back before Christ gave that in the New Testament, He gave it back here because He is the God of the Old Testament. So here it is in the Old Testament, the golden rule. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the eternal. Why does he keep putting that in there? Because he wants you to know this is not just somebody's opinion. This is not just some vague idea. This is something the great God says who gives you life and breath. I am the eternal. I'm telling you what to do. Don't mess with it. Don't water it down. You shall keep my statutes and you'll not let your livestock breed with another kind or have mixed seed. Or whoever lies carnally with a woman who's betrothed, of course, that's going to bring about scourging or punishment if they do that kind of thing. And God dealt with them physically back then. He's going to deal with them spiritually today if we break any of these statutes of God. Verse 26, You shall not eat anything eat anything with blood. Avoid eating blood. When we were in China, we didn't have any blood so far as I know, but in a place like that you have to be so careful... Because they serve sometimes without advertising it, cat meat, horse meat, dog meat. You know, you don't always know. It's scary. And perhaps some of the food was cooked in blood and so on. God says don't do that. Or show you practice divination or soothsaying. Don't go to some, you know, we think it's just kind of amusing thing when you go by some sign and, and this woman's saying, well, I can read your fortune. I'm an astrologer and he, I'm going to read your palm. Isn't that cute? No, it's not cute. Frankly, this is a woman or a man who says, "I'm in touch with the spirit world." What part of the spirit world are they in touch with? You say, "Well, Mr. Meredith, I've heard someone went to these people, and the, what they were told, what they were told, happened." That's right. The devil will sometimes tell you the truth, and sometimes he'll tell you a lie, and sometimes he'll tell you the lie mixed with truth, or a truth mixed with lie. Adam and Eve were told not to partake of the tree of the knowledge of pure evil, right? No, it was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil mixed. And God does not want that. If we learn to water things down, if we learn to compromise, we are gradually cutting ourselves off from God. So even though the devil may tell the truth on occasion to fool you in a larger sense, don't listen to him. Don't consort with him. Don't be around him, whether it's a sorceress or a mind reader, a fortune teller, a palm reader, or whatever. You shall not shave around the sides of your head, nor shall you disfigure the edges of your beard. So they were meant to make these strange cuttings on their hair, in their beard nor shall you make any cuttings in your flesh for the dead, nor tattoo any marks on you. I am the Eternal. He gave them very strict regulations about cuttings in their head and their hair and around. But one interesting thing, this is a digression, the, they had just come out of Egypt where if you look at the old... uh, uh records there and you look at the ancient pictures and so forth and think of the right term of these things that are left over anyway the geological record and the things that are preserved you'll find the Egyptians had all kinds of makeup how come God doesn't even devote one half of one verse anywhere anywhere to condemning makeup think about that that's a powerful argument from silence There are many other arguments about that, but that is something that God could have said. In one half of one verse, this would have been the place to do it right here, but he doesn't say anything. He was not trying to condemn that. Of course, if a woman heavily paints or looks like a Hollywood prostitute, as Mr. Armstrong said, well, that's wrong. But he went back and forth on that three times, as most of you know. He didn't go back and forth on the Sabbath. He never went back and forth on the holy days. He never went back and forth on the trinity because those are clear. He went back and forth on makeup because it was not clear. It was sort of an administrative decision based on vanity. And I was there when he made those decisions and that was the argument. But of course, young men have vanity if they go and as i sometimes do except i don't look in the mirror there's not much to see anymore but (laughs) on my behalf (laughs) but some young men will go to these uh, bodybuilding studios you know and they'll say they look like this and they're swelled up and they're they, they look at their lats and is that vanity of course should we forbid all young men to look at their bodies and think i'm a big strong guy well we can't make a rule for everything you know, you could, that could go on and on. Can we forbid every young man to get a, an old car and get it going and, and then screech the tires as he goes the corner and make a rule for that? Shall we make a rule for, you know what I mean, it goes on and on. There's no end. God doesn't make a rule for everything like that. So He does have concern about specific things. And one of those things was not make a, do not prostitute your daughter. Well, we don't do that today very often, but they do that in many other parts of the world, in the Muslim world, the African world, all over. And as you travel and you read widely, you'll see that's being done all over this earth. You shall keep my Sabbaths, His Sabbath that points to Him as the Creator, the seventh day and the annual holy days that picture God's plan and purpose and reverence. My sanctuary, I am the Eternal. Give no regard to mediums and familiar spirits. Don't pay attention to these fortune tellers. As you know, so many businessmen plan their business according to the astrological charts. That's paganism. Don't do that. Do not seek after them to be defiled. I am the eternal. You shall rise before the gray-headed and honor the presence of an old man and fear your God. I am the eternal. And we should do that perhaps a lot more than we do. One thing I really deeply appreciate personally, and I've never asked her to do it and don't ask her to do it if you're in a working environment, you can't do that every time someone walks in the room, but usually when I come into the office in the morning, well Monica just automatically rises up. I'm, o- I'm almost old enough to be my secretary's grandfather <laughs> and she honors me and strangely even Mr. Hernandez, who's not quite sixty, because mister Ames has come in revealing my age. Well <laughs> I'm about seventeen years older than Mario. So I guess I could have been his father if I started early. But he, he nearly always rises up when I come in the room. Just He learned that certain courtesy and humility in the society in which he was reared. And they show that honor. And uh, we don't have that honor toward older people today. Honor the presence of an old man and fear your God. I am the ever-living one. And if a stranger sojourns with you in your land... We have some person who's here from maybe Mexico or Central America and they're still a stranger. Maybe they're illegal. We don't know. Is it our job to try to get them in trouble? No. Is it our job to try to smuggle them here? No, we shouldn't do that either. But if they're here as a human being made in God's image, we should try to love them and help them. They sojourn. You shall not mistreat him. But the stranger who dwells among you shall be to you as one born among you. You shall not, you shall love him as yourself. That's a command from God. You're not to do any injustice in judgment or measurement or any of that to anybody. Verse 37, therefore you shall observe all my statutes and all my judgments and perform them. For I am the ever living one. So we do need to think of all these things and go over these things. I'm just going over a few of them to remind you of how to prepare, literally, technically, to rule over cities and to rule over nations on this earth in a few years. We do need to get ready. So we do need to think about that. Remember how God has prepared the future king of all Israel who is the future king of all Israel under Jesus Christ. Most of you know it's mentioned again and again. It's going to be King David. What kind of man was King David? How come King David can be the king over all twelve tribes under Jesus Christ? Turn to Psalm 119. Psalm 119, verse 97. Familiar verse, but think about it. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Do you think David was lying? Do you think God permitted David to just sink this in there as kind of poetic thing? No, I don't think so. I think David had these judgments coming to him to decide between man and man and woman and woman and woman and man and family with family and all this other stuff. And David had to know God's law. And you see, King David ruled Israel for 40 years. And as I've explained, later on you read about King Hezekiah or King Asa or righteous kings of Judah, and often God says Hezekiah was righteous and he walked in the ways of his father David. Or King Uzziah walked in the ways of David, but then later he turned aside and turned away from his father David. Or other kings never were righteous and they did not walk as their father David did in the way of God. He used David as the benchmark. David was the second king. The first Saul never did walk fully in the ways of God, and David did profoundly. Too many of us concentrate on that one big sin David committed with murdering Uriah. God calls it the the matter of Uriah the Hittite, because that was murder, and then taking his wife, which was terrible too. But except for that which David never repeated and which David bitterly, profoundly repented of by fasting and just lying on the ground for seven days, fasting and crying out to God, never did that again, God shows us in His Word. David served, David gave, David judged, David loved God, David meditated on God's law all the day. You through your commandments make me wiser than my enemies for they are ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers for your testimonies. These examples in the Old Testament are my meditation. I understand more than the ancients because they keep your precepts. You see, as you keep God's law, as you practice these principles, you begin to have far more understanding than Plato or Aristotle or all these other so-called great philosophers ever thought of having. Some of them were homosexuals, as you know, and weirdos. Yet the world looks up to them. Because I keep your precepts. I've restrained my feet from every evil way that I may keep your word. I've not departed from your judgments. For you yourself have taught me how sweet are your words. Now, brethren, before you start reading the Bible, some of you, and I've had this problem. All of us have it from time to time. It seems, well, I'm busy and I'm tired and I can't read. But if your heart is right and you pray, once you start reading, and especially if you develop the habit of reading the Bible, you'll delight in it. you say, wow, this is good. I better keep on reading. This is the mind of God. This is something I never fully understood before. Now I'm understanding it more even though I've read it before. In the last few years, I've read the book of Proverbs several times because I've realized the responsibility I have And I've got to make wise decisions. So I keep reading Proverbs over and over. I suppose I've read the book of Proverbs 50 or 150 times. I don't know. But at least 50 times over my lifetime. And you need to do that. Dwell on God's Word so you can begin to have the mind of God. How sweet are your words to my taste. Sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts I get understanding. Therefore... I go along with whatever comes out on television and that influences my attitude. No. Therefore, because you meditate on God's Word, I hate every false way. You begin to have the mind of God. And so I hope all of you will learn to do that if you really do want to be a king or a priest in this coming government. Because brethren, this government is going to be set up on this earth and I think in less than 15 years. But I may be wrong. That's just my opinion. At first merited three four, so I'm saying that for what it is, but I'll just tell you that things are moving in that direction, as I said, I used to think, if, for instance, if Mr. O'guinnn's scenario is correct, and the tribulation would begin as we figured it in two thousand eighteen, and uh, that is Christ would come in two thousand and eighteen, excuse me, then the tribulation would begin the spring of two thousand and fifteen, so the great tribulation would begin eight years from last month 8 years from last month oh that kind of focuses your mind a little bit now maybe it's not going to begin that soon maybe it will be 10 or 12 or 15 I know that but are we going to have one eighth of the problems and then another eighth next year and then another eighth and another eighth one reason I think for the sake of you young people that things are not happening quite as fast as that is that God himself said that at the very end, one thing's going to come right on another. One thing bang after bang, bang, just like that, just like the Berlin Wall fell, and all these nations in Eastern Europe fell quickly. And so we may have, my brethren, another four or five years, we will have an occasional 9-11, we will have an occasional bad earthquake, maybe out in L.A. or San Francisco or somewhere, even in this country, we may have increasing drought all through the Southwest, which is already occurring. We may have a declining value of our dollar, which is hurting even right now. All those things will get worse, but very gradually. The big exciting stuff may, I'm just saying, may not begin for another four, five, six years. Then all of a sudden, it'll be like the Berlin Wall coming down. Then suddenly, the thing comes into focus. You've got a full-fledged United States of Europe. They've been working on it all this time, putting all the pieces together but they haven't fully come together and they haven't fully got the right leader yet and the Pope is not performing miracles yet and all the rest of it. But suddenly it can come together and shake the nation and shake the world. And lots of people out there have been sitting on their hands and say, wow, I should have been getting with it all this time. So we need to realize it may be that way. I don't know. I'm not saying it will be, but that's my opinion. I think things are going in that direction if Hillary gets elected next year, and maybe Barack Obama would be the vice president, then you would have Hillary, a woman, as the president, you would have Nancy Pelosi as the third in line, and you would have a non-Israelite. I'm not persecuting you non-Israelites, but God says you're not to put a leader over you who's not one of your own people. That's a statute in the mind of God. You see, we would have that unusual situation. And if they pursue this liberal line, then within two or three years after they get in there, then things might get so bad that even our evangelical Protestant friends here in Charlotte and elsewhere would begin to say, Wow, something's got to happen. Even we realize this world stinks and God's got to intervene. And the people wouldn't say, God, God, why are you doing this to us? They would realize why God is doing it to us. Those who have any concept of the Bible whatsoever So think about it. This may work out somewhat that way. We don't know. I'm not predicting the exact turn of events. But anyway, God says through David, or David is saying, Sweet are your words to my taste. Sweeter than honey to my mouth. I love your word. I read it regularly. Through your precepts I get understanding. So let's study His word. Let's get that understanding. Let's really prepare to be kings and priests. It's real. It's coming. And it's coming in the lifetimes of most of you. And it needs to become a very, very real thing. Turn with me now to Leviticus chapter 10, my brethren. Leviticus uh, chapter 10, uh, here back toward the beginning, of course, of the Bible. Leviticus chapter 10. Beginning in verse 1. Here is the mind of God on something very clearly. Here are two sons of Aaron. Very important guys. They're the sons of the second guy in command. They could get away with anything, right? No. Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took a censer and put fire in it and put incense on it and offered profane, kind of a pagan practice, the way they did it, fire before the eternal which he had not commanded them. What's the matter about that? Because God says over and over in effect, you're to worship me the way I tell you. You're not to add to it and you're not to take from it. See, they were trying to come up, well, there's no difference between Saturday and Sunday. They're all the same. So we'll just worship God on Sunday. What's wrong with that or any other change? So fire went out from the ever-living one and devoured them and they died before the eternal. Here are these two young smart alecks Not babies. Young men probably in their 20s or even early 30s. We don't know. Self-willed. Oh, I'm the son of so-and-so. I can just go do this and that. No, God just struck them dead right there. Then Moses said to Aaron, This is what the Lord spoke, saying, By those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy. And before all the people, I must be glorified. So Aaron held his peace. At first, he was all upset and maybe said something verse 8 then the eternal spoke to Aaron saying do not drink wine or intoxicating drink you nor your sons they were the priests remember when you go into the tabernacle then say it's a sin to drink wine ever but when you come right in just before I come in here to preach or when Mr. Ames does or any of us we're not to drink wine or intoxicating drink might not make us change our doctrine." But if we had a little bit too much and we got a little bit too relaxed, we might say some things we ought not say. God says, don't do that. You want to be totally sober when you represent God. When you come into the tabernacle of meeting, lest you die, it shall be a statute forever throughout your dwellings that you may distinguish, notice, between holy and unholy and between unclean and clean. Now, the ministers of this world aren't concerned too much about that. But God talks about all kinds of things, about clean and unclean. Being a homosexual is unclean. Practicing any kind of a fornication or any other thing like that is unclean. Watching that kind of television and pornography is obviously, when you understand the mind of God, unclean. Jesus said you're not even to look on a woman to lust after her. Let the New Testament tell you also what unclean is. It's not just unclean meats. You've got to distinguish between what is clean and what is unclean. That you may teach the children of Israel all the statutes which the Eternal has spoken by the hand of Moses. Yes, that's what you're to do. Every one of you in this side of the room and every one of you this side of the room. You're going to have to teach that in a few years in your cities or your nations that you will be ruling under Jesus Christ. So it's good that you understand these principles. These are very real things from the mind of God. We often give you just spiritual things out of the New Testament. Every now and then we better go right back here to the foundation and give you some physical things of the mind of God so you can begin to realize that part of God's mind. All right, let's go to more of the mind of God here. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 16, if you would. Uh... No, I'm not going to skip that at this point. I see the time is over. I have a split sermon. I've got to remember. (laughs) We'll leave Deuteronomy 16 now. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians 6. 1 Corinthians 6. 1 Corinthians 6, he says here in verse 1, Dare any of you having a matter against another go to law before the unrighteous and not before the saints? My brethren, God tells us in the New Testament and in Paul's writing, not just back in Revelation, the word to learn to judge, word to learn to be rulers. And he tells us that very clearly. If you have a matter, you're to go before the, the judgment of God in the, in the church, not outsiders. Do you not know that saints will judge the world? That that's the very reason you're called today? And if the world be, will be judged by you in a very few years, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Do you not know that we shall judge angels? That's why we're called to get ready to judge the world and even judge the angelic hosts. How much more things that pertain to this life. And so we need to practice God's government. The right way in the church of God. That's not some small matter. That's a huge matter. And God tells us that in many ways, including this passage right here. So it is real. God's government is coming. It's coming soon. And we need to prepare the way. Turn now back to Ezekiel 37, if you would. Ezekiel uh, chapter 37, and I'm going to begin reading in verse 19. Ezekiel 37 and verse 19. He's been talking about ancient Israel and how they had to, you know, be brought down, and then he was going to bring them back finally. And God's going to do that again, as this prophecy clearly shows. And say to them, verse 19, Thus says the eternal God, Surely I will take the stick of Joseph, which is in the hand of Ephraim, and the tribes of Israel, his companions, that is us who are Manassites, and the Dutch people who are the Zebulites, and the French who are the Reubenites, and all the others. And I will join with them the stick of Judah, and make them one stick, one nation, the Jews and all the 10 tribe house of Israel. Verse 20, One, surely I will take the children of Israel from among the nations where they've gone. I will gather them from every side and bring them into their own land. He's going to bring us back from slavery. And I will make them one nation in the land on the mountains of Israel. And one king shall be king over them all. And they shall no longer be two nations. No longer persecution of the Jews. No longer people confused about who they are. And I'll tell you, having traveled again recently down to New Zealand and seeing God's people down there and the awesome blessings of Abraham and down in Australia and then traveling to the Philippines. And I love our Philippine brethren, but they don't have those blessings. Why? Because we're better? No. It's because they don't have those blessings. And Mario and I were talking about that just this morning. He's staying with us. The people in Central and South America, they don't have those blessings. And the longer I live and the more I see that, we realize the awesome blessings God has given the sons of Joseph, particularly from sea to shining sea here in America, down in Australia and the places of the British Empire who are all so great and mighty and very mightily blessed. But now He's going to make us finally one people in the land on the mountains of Israel, and one king shall be king over them all, they'll no longer be two nations, nor shall they be divided any more again. And he says in verse twenty four David, my servant, my servant David, who's the final king of Israel, under Jesus Christ, who's king of kings, my servant David, shall be king over them. he's resurrected from the dead, this man who ruled Israel forty years. This man who, who, who administered God's law and these statutes we've been reading about day after day, who said, Oh, how love I law, your law. I meditate all the day about it. He's qualified because he did that. Are you doing that? Am I doing that? I'm not doing that as much as I should. We all need to do it more. And they'll have one shepherd and, I will, and they shall also walk in my judgments and observe my statutes. The statutes including, of course, the holy days and tithing then they will dwell in the land that I have given to Jacob, my servant, where your fathers dwelt. They will dwell there and their children and their children's children, right down through the ages, forever. And my servant David shall be their king forever. Moreover, I will make a covenant of peace with them, and they shall, there shall be an everlasting covenant. And I will establish them and multiply them, and I will set my sanctuary in their midst forevermore. God will be our God, and we will be His people. My tabernacle also be with them and I will be their God and they shall be My people. The nations, the Gentiles all over the world when Christ comes back and the government of God is set up on earth and Christ is ruling from the city right over here from Jerusalem and it's very real, they're going to know. And they're going to know that they know. It's not something where people say, well, we're not sure of this and that. They'll know. He says, then the nations, the Gentiles will also know that I, the Eternal, sanctify Israel when my sanctuary is in their midst forever. So we're going to have a restoration of all things. We're going to have the opportunity to teach people that are hurting, people that are starving, people that have been abused, people that are crying out, and people that have a great emptiness in their lives and they don't know why they're here and where they're going. One of the greatest suicide rates in the whole nation, even in America. Is because, between, is because of the 15- to 19-year-old young people that commit suicide more than any of their group. When I was that age, just thinking, wow, world is exciting, wonderful. We're going to dances, parties, football games. A lot of people like that get in despair in our nation where they have everything physical, but they don't know God and they don't know why they're alive. And all over the world, people are not only in that condition, but it's in so many other nations being oppressed, raped, humiliated, beaten up, crushed down, and starving. And we will have the magnificent, brethren, really magnificent opportunity to say, here is the way. God loves you. Here is His government, His whole way of life, His kingdom. There's peace, there's joy, there's prosperity. Here is the way. Walk you in it. This is our opportunity. This is our calling. This should be our focus.